You are listening to Inside Method, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of a global consultancy. Today, we continue our series, OK, I'm Curious, hosted by Principal of Experience Design, Carrie Brunsman. Carrie's going to be sitting down with Senior Experience Designer, TJ Edwards. And Carrie, tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear in this interview today. Yeah, TJ, this is great because a lot of times we walk in situations where people are like, hey, you have a creative job, let's be creative. And that's pretty intimidating to be on the spot, told you need to be creative, and you may not even think you're particularly creative in your job. Yeah, if you're a comic, it's just like, hey, you're funny, tell me a joke. Yeah, tell me a joke. Make me laugh. Yeah, (laughs) Exactly. So I think we've all been in these situations, especially in workshops, which is what TJ is really known for. He's great at at putting together some awesome workshops. But if you come into an ideation session and somebody says, okay, now we're going to be creative and brainstorm, I think people shut down. And TJ comes up with some great ways to make that easy and to get you into your creative space and get those juices flowing so that when we start to brainstorm, you're really coming at it from a different perspective. All right. Hi, TJ. Welcome to OK, I'm Curious. Hey, Carrie, thanks for having me. So let's just start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what's your story? Yeah, well, uh, my my story is a winding one. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by training and uh, worked in design build, especially in like industrials and food processing early in my career. And uh, I came into a season of wanting a little more purpose in my life. And so I made a pretty significant pivot. Uh, I got a master's in education and was a teacher and educator for about 10 years. And as part of that work, um, I helped found basically an R&D lab for education. And we really did three things. We shared uh, thought and action leadership. We hosted events. And then we did consulting, mostly around introducing design thinking as a principal into schools. And that was really my first foray into into consulting work and sort of problem-based uh, work. And not long after that, when COVID hit, I uh, kind of had a different season of wanting to get back into corporate a little bit and try uh, consulting at a different scale. And so I found Method and I've been here about two years. Oh, that's fantastic. My mom's a teacher, so she would have loved to give you an earful of, of her ideas as well. Um, before we move on, just before we start talking about some of your um, techniques for removing creativity blockers, um, how do you prepare people for a brainstorming session? Yeah, that's an important question because setting up the sort of mindset and just disposition <laughs> towards being creative and, and ideation and brainstorming is is really important for a facilitator to kind of lean into. So. I guess some of these norms for just being curious, I would say, start with questions. And so if you start with questions, how might we is a pretty standard approach, but it opens up possibilities, right? So instead of leading with the solution, you're leading with the question. And then that old adage of um, strong beliefs loosely held, right? So basically that means challenging assumptions. Any idea is a good one, so long as you're willing to sort of test that and challenge it and validate it. And then I think a third one is around sort of activating emotional connection with the problem. In other words, um, if people aren't excited about the problem, then you're you're really setting yourself up for an uphill battle in a brainstorming or ideation session. So that role of the facilitator and or like 
maybe the executive stakeholder to get people to rally around this problem um, as it being one worth solving is, is an important ingredient. Yeah, I love taking that time to really get people to understand what the person they're trying to solve for feels like, what they're going through. And so they can start to feel that. I love that connection that does help with uh, figuring out how to get in the right brain set. So I know you facilitate a lot of workshops. You do a lot of workshops, which probably means you do a lot of brainstorming sessions. So why did you start in the journey to look exactly at that brainstorming activity? What made you want to look at that to try to make that more efficient? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I guess for one, we shared an article somewhere amongst our method colleagues. It was titled something to the effect of like, stop brainstorming. <laughs> and the article title itself was jarring enough to to be provocative. We were like, wait a minute, what what's this about? And I think to make a long story short, amongst us colleagues, our conversation essentially didn't necessarily agree with the thesis of the article, but it challenged my own assumptions in a really meaningful way. I, it did get me thinking about like ideation is kind of the fun part of a project cycle, but am I actually doing it like the, the best that I can? Or is it just sort of like the really fast 15 minute posted session and everybody feels good and cheers and, and you move on? So I really wanted to dig a little bit deeper into like what is effective and not effective in this particular moments of ideation. Yeah, I remember that article. And I don't think the author liked brainstorming much at all. I don't think his reaction was very positive. So how would you describe most people's reactions to doing a brainstorming session? There's a couple different common sort of entry points that I've seen as people go into that session. So one being that people will say something to the effect of, Hey, I know we're not supposed to be brainstorming just yet. Like we're not in the solutioning part of the process yet, but, and then they tell you, you know, anyway, yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> to me, that is actually a little bit of a myth that you need to hold off ideation until a certain magical moment. And like, now's the time to do it. I think I've started to lean more into, um, ideating along the whole project cycle, so long as you're willing, again, to kind of like challenge those assumptions and, and keep sort of testing it. So I think that's one entry point. Another one is sort of like this idea that there's a moment in the project cycle where you just turn on the creative juices and it's just like, okay, go be creative now. And we've got a day to do it, which is just- Or sometimes 15 minutes. <laughs> or 15 minutes, yeah. And it's just almost silly when you think about it, that people are able to be doing one thing last hour, and then you just flip a switch and now you're supposed to be creative. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's gotta be better ways to sort of structure that moment. And so that's, uh, that's one of the things I've been kind of digging into. So what do you think are some of those common pitfalls? What makes that brainstorming session, uh, maybe not as creative as it could be? I think humans in general are creatures of habit, right? And so when we do our day-to-day nine-to-five work, we tend to fall into routines. And along with that, this is kind of these habitual ways of thinking. And a lot of times that's influenced by like organizational culture, right? So mm -hmm. I've done things a certain way. It's been successful. Let me rinse and repeat that as often as I can because it's shown success. Um, but there's a little bit of a paradox there to like, sometimes those habitual habits don't open up new possibilities in the way that you're hoping for in a brainstorming session. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, you've got to overcome these sort of like well-worn paths, like neurological pathways that, that you've sort of fallen into. And by creating some frameworks or activities or different ways of thinking, it kind of forces you to, to think a little more divergently. And along those same lines, as a facilitator, if, if you are facilitating an ideation session, having some of those frameworks helps make the first mark, so to speak. So, you know, that anxiety you feel of like looking at a blank screen with a flashing cursor. Well, if you can make the first mark and kind of give people something to fill in, it reduces that anxiety level a whole lot. And that makes sense. So you have a couple techniques for us to tell us about how to help with that creative and critical thinking. I really like the first one, the Kenneth. Uh, and it, it's it's so easy to to like discard or get rid of some of those ideas that we just, like you said, are not habitual. They just don't fit in our norm. And I love how this forces you to change the way we look at things. Can you explain this a little bit more about how the Kenneth works? Yeah, sure. So oh, first of all, when you might want to pull, pull this particular tool out of your toolbox. Yeah. So if you enter into a brainstorming session, which this happens often with with an idea already, like you've been going through this project and you're like, I feel like I already know the answer. Maybe there's a little confirmation bias in there. This is a great activity to help really rationalize that idea and really explore the, the trade-offs that are associated with it. The way it essentially works is if you can imagine, this is where I wish we had the video additionally. If you can imagine like a, a concept map or a mind map, and at the center is your idea, and then you have all of these nodes coming off it. And those nodes might be things like personnel or funding or org structure or other products in your portfolio, whatever those big rocks might be. And for each of those, you start to think about, well, we can do this idea if this is true about funding, or this is true about personnel, or this is true about our org structure. And so what's cool about that is a, it gives some validation to the idea right off the bat saying, yes, it's certainly a possibility. However, there's this rational side of it comes with some trade-offs. It's going to cost you, I've got to hire this new role, or we've got to raise this amount of money, or we've got to change the way we work in a certain way. And it kind of forces people to just get real about their idea. And sometimes it changes the whole lens of the problem. So it used to be a problem with this particular process, but now we've reframed that as a problem with hiring or how we go about a certain process in our business. So in that mind map, those things that are around it, like like HR, those are just starters. Like they're, they're okay, well, is anything about HR? Could that make it different? Exactly right. Exactly right. And so those little sort of sentence starters, I guess you can call them, is another example of that sort of making the first mark. People tend to lean into that. And it also works great with a sort of if you're working with a cross-functional team because people will gravitate towards different nodes. Um, and so really quickly, people can see themselves in that solution. So if I'm in HR, oh, I see how this can be true for me. Versus if I'm in executive leadership, oh, this is what it means for me. And it it just creates some interesting conversations about which trade-offs you want to make. And I know your second one is positive defiance. When does that start? Like when in the process of brainstorming would you use that technique? 
Yeah. So this is one where, uh, again, I think it's natural for some to, especially if you're in a really complex problem space, there tends to be a no, but kind of attitude sometimes amongst your group. And it's just too dang hard. And so <laughs> one way to overcome that is, yeah, this idea of positive deviance, which is not over indexing on the pain points and friction points, but instead looking at, well, what's working really well? What are the bright spots? And this is another one of those paradoxes where if you've got a really friction-filled process in your organization, I bet somebody has figured out a hack or a workaround uh, to to make it so that they can be successful, even against you know all odds of this like horrible process or whatever it might be. And so that's an example of positive deviance. And so it might be less about solving the the pain points and more about amplifying the bright spots. And so it's just a different way of of kind of looking at things. I know is it ironic that I changed it to defiance instead of deviance? <laughs> well, that's and this is one of those like habits that I need to work on because my go-to when I enter a problem space is what are the pain points? What what's really bugging you about this? Yeah, and it I have to be intentional about about asking like what's going really well in your organization or this problem space. It's such a nice positive outlet too, like to start with something positive. What's going on that's that's really working for you? And then sometimes we ask that just to, um, at the beginning of a workshop, to get people in a positive mind frame, but but it's different here. I mean, you're, you're saying use it as, no, really, what's working well? Like, can we use that? Not just, you know, let's all think happy thoughts. No, we're really trying to figure out how we can maybe reuse something that we've already thought of that works well. Yeah. And it's not a perfect analogy, but you can almost think about these problem spaces as like, where do you want to, where do you want to invest? You can either invest in, uh, removing things from the system, or you can invest in amplifying something that your people are already doing. Um, and oftentimes amplifying is cheaper than <laughs> removing something or shifting or transforming something, not hundred percent all the time, but it's definitely something to consider. It's really cool. So the last one, adjacent possible. Tell me a little bit about that technique. Yeah. So this is, again, just an activity to kind of break habitual ways of thinking. Um, and it's sort of rooted in this idea that every idea is a remix. So imagine going through a brainstorming session and you've got these 50 post-it notes on the wall or whatever it might be. And it tends to be that those first 50 ideas are pretty easy. I mean, you can do it in 15 minutes, right? right. Uh, it's it's harder to elevate those to something that's a little more disruptive, a little more different, a little bit more ambitious. And so one way to do that is to sort of remix your idea with something that another organization is potentially doing well. So imagine an organization, you can find an example out there that is really setting a high bar for inclusion. And so take your idea and mix it with what if our primary metric for success was about including people? Like, what does that new idea look like? Mm -hmm. Or another example I get to often is like Lego, the, you know, the toy company, <laughs> they crowdsource from fans what their next build sets should be. And so imagine now taking your idea and remixing that with, well, what if we crowdsourced 
our our um our next solution like what would our customers tell us it would be uh-huh. and it just opens up possibilities to something that maybe you hadn't considered initially and it's rooted in other successful companies so really the key is finding those kind of case studies or those adjacent possible sort of i usually imagine them as like playing cards <laughs> like how would uber solve this how would Philips solve this and and look at it that way so as a facilitator do you come in with some of those case studies you have an idea of what you might want to lay down and say okay now think of it as being uber think of it as yeah. being Amazon. yeah Oftentimes I do. I kind of have a go-to list of some of those, but very often you have to tweak them as well based on what what problem space that you're in. So if it's if it's a problem more around content, you want to find organizations obviously who have kind of uh, solved that particular problem in different ways, right? So you might cater it. But what's really fun is when you give your team the space to kind of sleep on it and work mm-hmm. on this particular activity, they go find their own case studies and use cases out there. And that's really the magical part. So maybe that's um, another one of those mindsets is not to, while time is often a good creative constraint, like let people sit in an idea for a while and uh, allow them the, the time to sort of slow think and come up with, with some of their new maybe more well-fetted ideas. So after you do a brainstorming session, give them maybe to the next day to do the adjacent possible piece? Yeah, like that's one that just tactically, I, I will often uh, send home as homework, right? So we might do a few together, but then ask the team to go do a little bit of research of a different use case in hopefully a different industry even and imagine remixing that with some of the ideas that we have generated already. And people tend to come up with some really, really interesting new ways of thinking. I love these techniques because they just take what we consider a normal brainstorming session and they're still using that. They're just kind of shifting it over the side to look at it from a slightly different angle so that you can you maybe save some of those ideas that we throw out so quickly. So do you have any last thoughts on how to create effective brainstorming sessions? Yeah, I think you you just said one, which uh, is you just articulated really well, is one potential pitfall is that you had all these great ideas and maybe not on purpose, but you ignored a really good one down here at the yeah. bottom. Sometimes the most innovative are the ones we're just like, eh. <laughs> totally. And so for that reason, I I think a, um, a good mindset to have is that I, ideation is really a slow burn. Like try not to think of it as this single moment of time that we've got to rush through because that's the way we've always done it. But like let people continually test ideas across the the project cycle. So I think that's that's one. And the other is that at least each of the techniques that we just talked about requires some amount of research and probably some downtime to just sit and think. And look, we've all been there where we've had calendars packed with meeting after meeting. And sometimes we don't give ourselves the space to breathe and just sit and think. And like, this is a moment by definition, we have to think about possibilities. And so creating that space for your team is is really a, an important one. And maybe a last thought that 
I kind of give this same response sometimes when when people ask me about uh, maybe designing a workshop or whatever. It's like, let's consider if we actually need the brainstorming session or if we actually need the workshop to start with. <laughs> so if you're in a problem space that's very mechanical or straightforward or you know the solution is already pretty well defined, like don't overcomplicate it by brainstorming this whole new thing. Stressing <laughs> like, everybody out. <laughs> exactly. Like uh, you may you may not need that. Let's just better define the problem and then take action on it. So it's it's brainstorming and ideation is far from like a cure all. It's it's one methodology in in the bigger sort of tool set or toolbox. Oh, and that's a great final statement. We got a whole another podcast we could do on that one. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much, TJ. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. It's always great talking with you, Carrie. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If there's anything else that you're curious about, go ahead and message me on social and we can make that a topic for one of our next conversations. Until next time, stay curious. <laughs>